0: Good morning again, and um, as uh, we uh, continue our study uh, today, I want to just uh, ask you where you are today. I know you're at Merrimack Valley Baptist Church. I got that one. Where are you today in terms of your walk with the Lord? Where are you today in, in understanding your walk and what it looks like? Where are you today uh, with the questions of the world that are on your mind because as we turn to the Word of God, uh, the, we come to the Word of God for, for answers, do we not? That's primarily why, uh, well, well really, we're looking for answers on who God is and who we are and what the troubles of the world. Where, where can we find our stability and it's all found in the Word of God. As we go into today's study, uh, Paul is going to be uh, using the Word of God to answer the questions for those within the Galatian church. Uh, one of the burdens that is um, upon any preacher is to somehow make the burdens of the first century apply them to the burdens of our lives today and I think actually that this text can actually do that for us. Uh, but I ask you to start with "Where are you?" What questions do you have because as we as we focus on this particular text of scripture. Paul is is communicating to a church that is in desperate need for assurance. They're in desperate need to understand how am I called to to live in response to the gospel. Have you had someone maybe come into your life and and speak certain things about faith and you've scratched your head like, I've never heard that before. I'm not sure that's true. How can I know it's true? Well, we go to Scripture. Scripture. And so I hope that you will be a student of Scripture as we go through here. I, uh, the way, w- what we've been doing is we've uh, been going through section by section. Today we're, going to not, uh, we're not going to cover 1 through 14. We've already covered 1 through 5. But in this text of Scripture, in this uh, portion, we have uh, considered this, this idea, this burden upon Paul's heart, which is there's no other gospel that grants justification to sinners before a holy God. I've preached two weeks on this already. This idea of being justified. What does it matter to us if we're justified or not? To be justified is the idea that although a sinner condemned because of that sin, that because of, of one's faith in Jesus Christ, God the judge declares us righteous in his eyes because of what Jesus has done, and because of our faith in that, in the personal work of Jesus Christ. So when I think about justification, declare being declared righteous in God's eyes, I honestly don't think there's any better news for anyone in the entire world. You may be having a bad day, but when someone else is having a worse day, somehow you're like, oh, okay, I'm not that person. When you're having a bad day, and, and your car won't start. Your battery's died. And then you hear about someone whose house burned down. You're like, well, I'm only dealing with a dead battery, not the loss of all my possessions. When we look at those type of situations and we can say, no, I'm better off than them. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're better off than everyone else in the entire world who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. Because we have been declared righteous. We are justified in God's eyes. To go from being a sinner to being a saint, as they say, right? To go from being one who has deserved, had moved from the deserving condemnation of God to, to a declaration that there is now no condemnation for, in, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no better news. And that's what Paul's trying to communicate to the Galatians. They've had some people come into their church, and they've stirred things up, and they've caused some confusion. Now, that, those same people, if they came into our church with the same message, we would not be confused because we have the Word of God, and also because uh, we're not dealing with uh, uh, an in-depth uh, in, in knowledge of the way the Jewish church was, was practiced. And so that's what we're going to look at today. But So we're still in this idea of no other gospel grants justification. And so I hope that doesn't sound uh, just academic to you. I hope it's experiential for you. Because that's, as we we talked about, verses 1 through 5, that was the point. Paul argues the doctrine of justification uh, by faith alone. Faith in Jesus Christ, in His person as the Son of God, who is God the Son, and of His work. The fact that He atoned for sin. He appeased God. He is our propitiation on that cross. When He died and the sins of the world were by His Father replaced on Him. And when He died, He paid. The, The debt was paid in full. But it's applied to those who have faith in His person and in His work and what He accomplished on the cross. Paul just argued the fact that that ought to be true, this this, this faith, this justification by faith alone. It it Actually, uh, he argues it from the standpoint of personal experience. If you're here this morning and you can write the date uh, of when you got saved on the calendar, praise God, right? I I wish I could do that, right? I'm thankful that so many can. Uh, So many people were told, you know, when they came to faith, oh, write it in the front part of your Bible, when you got saved. And and, and that's beautiful. And I encourage you, go back to that daily if necessary, to be encouraged that you have moved from death to life, that you have moved from condemned to being an heir with Jesus Christ for all the things that have been promised to us in him. But So this personal experience this is a real thing, this personal experience. We get nervous, itchy, twitchy about uh, just experiential things, right? We want to anchor it in the Word of God. Well, we're going to get there. But Paul said last week that this personal experience is, is, is evidenced by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. You know. If you've ever come to faith in Jesus Christ, you know there's this experiential uh, factor, uh, this aspect where you're, you know internally you're different than the way you were before. For me, uh, I was in college. I was, I was uh, living a life of sin, pretending to be a person of righteousness. But I know for a fact that on whatever date that was, in my dorm room, all alone, God convicted me of my sin and, and, and convinced me of my need of a Savior. And I came to faith. And I was changed in that moment. In that moment. Everything changed for me, and I lived a life that is solely, totally different than what it would have been outside of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I know that's true for, for just about everybody in this room, but for those, if you're a believer, you should know that. But honestly, some children come to this idea, you know, and, and, and we might see the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, but for them, they didn't get saved uh, out of sin. They got saved from sin. They don't have this... this uh, uh, notebook full of all the wicked things that were done prior to their salvation. They were just little kids. But it's experiential for them too because as they grow older and they, and they see the lives of those around them and, the, and they see the sin that was, that was around them, they understand. They know. Somehow they just know that probably would have been me without the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. So for, for justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, For it to be evidenced by the presence of the Holy Spirit is something that is a universal truth for Christians. We could probably even point to the thief on the cross, but I won't because I don't know if I have evidence of that. But I will say this. Jesus recognized the faith. And at that particular time, well actually Jesus hadn't died at that point, but he was going to, to be with him in paradise at that very moment. So this, this experiential thing, Paul said that the Holy Spirit is received by every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. It's, that is definitely universal no matter what age you are. I, have, I do have a, a strong compassion and a desire to see our older folks evangelized, not, not our senior saints, and it's not only our senior saints' responsibility. I'm talking about those that are statistically closer to eternity than most of us would think. Now, any one of us can die uh, now in this moment. There's people who have have died in churches, all right? But I'm saying there are people that need Christ, and we need to evangelize them. And it doesn't matter if they're little ones or or, uh, older ones or very older ones. The fact is that they need Christ. And every person who has ever come to faith in Christ, it receives the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say that the Holy Spirit matures every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we, this is all what we talked about last week. It's the idea that we are in the maturing process. It's good news that we are redeemed. It's good news that we are justified and we are declared righteous in God's eyes. But listen, that knowledge is supposed to be lived out in the way we live our lives. And so this maturing process is is similar but different for each person because we have our, our, our different life experiences and our different struggles, and, and God uses every single one of those to mature us and mature us until we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So those, these are all realities of the Spirit indwelling us. And so you know, we, we made this point last week that the beginning of our faith, so when we come to faith, and the perfecting or the completing of our faith is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the making and maturing that goes on in our lives and in the lives of those that we are called to be a witness to. So it, it's, it's, this is the reality of the gospel. From beginning to end, the Holy Spirit is present and working and will continue to work, and it's a beautiful thing. This is what we have in Christ. This is what we have when we're declared just, uh, justified in God's eyes. All right. So now as we transition into chapter 3, verse 6 through 14, Paul's going to argue the other part of this, which is uh, he's going to argue the doctrine of justification by faith alone from the stand for, standpoint of biblical teaching. Now that's what I was saying. Where do we go when we have questions? Well, for the, for the Galatians, the questions were basically, how do I know that what I know is true? And we have talked about that in 1 John. How do I know Well, we go to the Word of God? And Paul, what he does as he goes through here, he goes through six Old Testament Scriptures uh, as he presents an argument, or he argues, that justification by faith alone has always been God's plan. How do I know that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and that that faith, that simple faith in what he did on the cross as the Son of God actually applies to me? And because that 's what the Galatians were asking. We have these troublemakers coming in, Paul. We have these people, and I know you told us it 's by faith alone, but these people are telling me I have to live by the Jewish law as well, and we know that uh, Paul already shared the story of of Peter, who was seduced in a sense by these people to kind of drift off and, and, and kind of deny the gospel that he that he is the the person that is called to, to bring the gospel to the to the Jews, as Paul was Supposed to bring it to the Gentiles. So, as we go through these Old Testament texts, I don't know if they're going to scratch your itch. All right? I don't know if you have these particular questions, but maybe you do. Maybe you wonder how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know? That my life is secure in Christ. And so I think this is what was on the heart of, the, of Paul as he was speaking to the Galatians. This is what should be on our heart today as we look into it. So I presented this. I highlighted that word argue because I have presented the uh, slides in, a, in, a, in the idea of presenting an argument. Okay, So we have the first part of the argument in verses 6 through 9. And the second part through uh, 10 through 14. And, and he present, presents the argument like this. Now for our purposes now... I'm, going to, I'm not going to read the word if. There's a, when they're all on there, I'll read it through together uh, with you in that. But here's a statement that, that Paul is communicating to the Galatians. Abraham was declared righteous or justified in God's eyes by his faith and not by his works. Paul's already started this conversation in, in last week's uh, uh, text, and so as we look at this, where this is a reminder from last week, he says, "Therefore, he who supplies this is talking about God God who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does He do it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? God is at work," Paul's saying. He's always at work, and he's at work in our lives today. And he says, listen, this God who supplies the Spirit, the one Galatians that you have received through your faith, it's experiential. The same one who is working miracles, also talking about the experiential nature of faith, does he do it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And the expected answer, and Paul knows it, and the Galatians know it. The only people that don't really know it are the Judaizers, because they're, they're, they're somehow confused. But even those that were confused, when Paul says this, they should come up with the right answer. Does he come up with a, by the works of the law? Did you get saved by faith and you have to live by the law? That's what we talked about last week. Paul says, God granted the Spirit and the, and the manifestation of the Spirit in your presence through the hearing of faith and nothing more he says in verse 6, Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is the first of six Old Testament quotations that Paul uses to answer the questions and needs of the church in Galatia. And he says right from the beginning, they bring us up the person of Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of faith. Abraham, everybody loves Abraham. You think about our world today. The three major religions in the world honor Abraham. The Jews, the Jewish faith, obviously honors Abraham, right? The father of Isaac, the son of promise, the, the, the grandfather of Jacob, of which the twelve tribes come on the scene. Certainly, we know all the way through there. Jesus Christ comes on the scene, and we so so Jewish Jewish folks uh, honor Abraham. Christians, because of Jesus Christ, we honor Abraham, but even even uh, uh, Muslims honor Abraham because he's the father of Ishmael. So we, we, can, we can sit there and say, this person, if there's any figure in church or in history that is a, a kind of a key figure to study and understand, it's Abraham. Now, Paul is more than likely talking to uh, mostly Gentiles, but he had these, these Judaizers, these people coming in, and, and they're trying to connect faith in Christ with the observance of the Mosaic law, and it's causing confusion. So Paul, as he's trying to dispel the confusion, goes to Scripture. As we should go to Scripture, and maybe not these texts for what's on your mind and heart uh, that you might have questions about, but certainly that's where we are are called to go. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Uh, Going back, it says, listen, he who supplies the Spirit, manifests the Spirit, and has granted the Spirit for the hearing of faith... He's saying this is true of Abraham. Abraham is the man that you need to look to for the example of this, because Scripture says he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And this is what it says in Genesis 15:6. And he believed in the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. It's as simple as that. Now, we're going to study more about the life of Abraham next week and maybe even the week after, but we're going to, we're going to see that Abraham is this, this uh, key figure that Paul is using to, to con, uh, convince his audience of, of, of justification by faith alone uh, in, in Jesus Christ, right? The fact that this has always been the plan of God. He says, listen, uh, Abraham believed it's as simple as that, and, Jesus, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. He was justified. So as we go through here, we see Abraham was declared righteous by his faith, not by works. That's a, a basic tenet of our faith. Uh, secondly, the children of Abraham are only those who exercise faith like he did. Now, in the Jewish, uh, the Jewish people who are not Christian at this point, and I will say throughout the Jewish history, they looked at Abraham as, man, he is our ancestor. There are other parts of Scripture that call out how they trusted in the fact that they were children of Abraham for their right standing with God. And Paul's challenging that. Paul believed that, but now he's saying, no, I now have full clarity. I am not righteous in God's eyes because of my genetic heritage from Abraham. We're going to see that genuine, true children of Abraham, of which this room is full of, are only those who exercise faith like he did. So, again, this, this may be one of the questions you have in your life. How do I know that I'm a child of God? How do I know that that I'm in right standing with God? Well, have you come to simple faith like Abraham in Jesus Christ? That's, that's Paul's message. He's, he's squarely in the gospel. He's not talking about Jesus Christ in these texts, he's saying, no, you who already believe in Jesus, go back to the Old Testament and see that the children of Abraham are only those who exercise faith. It not, has nothing to do with physical genetics. He says, therefore, know, as Abraham is the one who, who professed faith and that was enough, therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Paul is just making a conclusion based upon uh, what he knew to be true from the word of God. He says, know this, Galatians, that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. So we are, since we are believers in God and believers in Jesus Christ, Paul would say we are all children of Abraham, and rightfully so. And we're going to be children of the promise, which will be again next week. Thirdly, he says, the scripture preached the gospel to Abraham, who believed it. This is a fascinating little piece of Scripture uh, text because it says here, and the Scripture, If you, if you, I'll read it all, then I'm going to go back. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before, saying, In, in, all, uh, in you all the nations shall be blessed. In you all the nations shall be blessed. But I want you to just draw attention. I don't have anything highlighted. And the Scripture preached... And the Scripture preached the gospel. I don't know how many times I've read this, and it doesn't stand out to me. Maybe it stood out to you every time you've encountered it. But this isn't saying, and Paul preached, and Peter preached, and all the apostles preached, or, or, or anybody preached. It doesn't say a deacon preached. It doesn't say a pastor preached. It says, and the Scripture preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. This is one of those texts of scriptures that is like, what does that mean? Well, since we're talking about Abraham... And since we know Abraham lived approximately 430 years before the Mosaic Law was written down, what kind of scriptures did Abraham have? So what, what is believed to be taking place here is the fact that the scriptures is God's word. God is the one communicating directly to Abraham. He is the one that called him from Ur of Chaldees. He is the one that said, Sacrifice your son, Isaac, he is the one that has communicated and, and led Abraham as he walked through faith, by faith. The scripture is just some aspect of reference that God spoke and Abraham believed and then acted in that belief. So the scripture, notice this, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles. This is very clear that justification by faith alone and Christ alone has been, planned, has been the plan since eternity past. This is God's plan unfolding. Paul is in, on, on the end of it that, that uh, he's trying to encourage these genuine believers in Christ, but he takes them all the way back to the very beginning of Abraham to say, and we'll look at his life more to say he was a Gentile and, and, and not circumcised. That'll be next week. But he says, foreseeing that God would justify. We're being told by Paul that the scriptures told of this justifying activity of God was going to be applied to the Gentiles. And again, that's not a question on our, on our lips today. Most of us are not concerned of whether it's Jew or Gentile. Most of us are, have Gentile backgrounds and, and we'll say, yeah, yeah, I know that one, pastor. What's the point? The point is God has been communicating this from the very beginning. Because we ask ourselves, what kind of gospel did Abraham have an understanding in? It says that in you all the nations shall be blessed. Was, Was Abraham given all the details of the gospel? We don't know. Was he told that there was going to be Jesus? Was he told the name Jesus Christ? We don't know. But we do know this. Abraham more than likely knew about Adam. And when you go back to the garden... And you understand that in the garden where Adam and Eve fell into sin, as the curse in Genesis 3 was pronounced upon the man, the woman, the serpent, and the land, God said to Satan, Yeah, you're going to crawl on your belly, but listen. You are going to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. It's the first gospel. Abraham would have been aware of that. He didn't know the name Jesus Christ. He didn't know any of the details of what was going to take place. He didn't even know the law of Moses. And God justified him because of his faith for the revealed scripture that he had, which was God's word to him. And so we have the scripture for seeing this this truth of the justifying of the Gentiles, and we, we know that Abraham was a believer. And what God was sharing with him. So we can also go back to Genesis. Sounds like a, a good radio program or a book or magazine, whatever that is, back to Genesis, whatever that is. I forget. But it's like we can also go back there and find out so many answers to our life's issues. And so as, as, as Paul is demonstrating a reliance upon the, whole, the Old Testament, we can too and go back there. What are your concerns today? Are you concerned about the the nation we live in. Are you concerned about the world happenings and all that's going on? Most of us, as as we're doing in the prayer time, we're gonna. We just started reading through Revelation. We only did one, verses one through eight because I'm I'm caught up with the idea of, of okay, so all this going up in the going on in the world, you know, uh, England's falling apart, uh, Ukraine's being uh, brutalized, uh, Russia's doing the brutalizing. Um, uh, China and North Korea and, uh, and our country are all kind of, there's a lot going on. It's kind of, kind of scary. Well, let's go see the end of the story, right? Let's read the Revelation. Well, why don't we go to the beginning of the story first this morning and just say we can go back there and understand God establishes governments. We can go to the Old Testament and see how God is sovereign over the affairs of man no matter who the empire is, emperor is or leader is. God does all that so your question may not be dealing with your sanctification uh, 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 in Christ. But we can do what Paul does and still go to the Old Testament to see that play. But we have to stay on task here and understand this gospel preached to Abraham beforehand was not a whole lot of details, but we have the rest of the story. We know who Jesus Christ is. We know what he has done. And we know from other scriptures that we are called to live in light of that each and every day. And that means with all the unsure, the, the, the shifting sands of, of, our, of our world, whatever it might be, we are called to find our anchor in Christ and in His gospel. Because it is the gospel and it is the only gospel that justifies sinners in the sight, in the eyes of a holy God. So listen, in you all the nations shall be blessed. That's referring to Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that point is basically saying, my son, your Savior, is going to come through your lineage, Abraham. Because I know that uh, however, you know what, a millennia later, you know, Jesus was going to come on the scene. So we, so as we look at this, as we talk about developing an argument, this first part of the argument, we can say, if Abraham was declared righteous or justified uh, by his faith and not by his works, and if the children of Abraham are, are, are only those who exercise faith as he did, and if the Scripture preached the gospel to Abraham who believed it, if all that is true... Then all those who exercise faith in Christ are blessed or justified uh, like their father Abraham. I use that word blessed because it's in the text. It says, So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. All those things, Galatians, are true. They're true. So then those, you, Galatians, who have come to faith, you, Merrimack uh, uh, Valley Baptist Church, right? Right? You who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. We are just like Abraham. He has no advantage over us. He knew a little bit of the gospel. We know all the gospel. He came to faith. We come to faith. And it is faith that saves. So as as we look at this, all those who exercise faith in Christ are blessed or justified. I think that's what the blessing is talking about there because that's what he goes back up to the first point. Abraham was declared righteous by his faith. So all those who also have faith are justified like their father Abraham. It's a simple truth for us to understand. That's the first part of the argument. But when he gets to the second part of the argument, he goes in a different uh, vein of, of thought, but still very similar conclusion. Uh, as He says, first of all, those trusting in works to be justified are cursed. That's not good news to be cursed. We're at Halloween. There's probably all kinds of curses that are going to be jokingly uh, brought upon uh, uh, people, right? I mean, we, bless our neighbors. I mean, they are all into Halloween, okay? Uh, drive by our house sometime, and don't look at our house. Look across the street. You will be amazed at all this stuff. They just love Halloween, uh, and, and honestly, they, they love the, the neighborhood. All the people come by and look at it, but listen, uh, this idea of cursing, this is not fun. This is not Halloween, This is cursing as in, if anybody preaches a different gospel than what I preach, anathema, may they be condemned for eternity. This is that idea of cursing. And he says, those trusting in works to be justified are cursed. This is a real thing. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. This is talking about those who are trusting in the works of the law for their right standing before God. If I'm a good person in our day and age, we'll say, if I'm a good person, I do good things, then I'll be justified. He says, no. For the Jews, as many as who are trusting in the works of the law, they are under the curse of the law. We'll see that. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So, so uh, he says. This is coming out of Deuteronomy twenty-seven, twenty-six. This is the Old Testament scripture he turns to. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, and all the people shall say, "Amen." This is a dramatic piece of scripture. You want to see how people were wrestling with their faith. Go back to this portion of Deuteronomy 27. As the, as the second giving of the law is taking place, and, and as, as uh, the, the text, this context is saying this, it says, uh, prior to this, uh, these six tribes go up on this hill, or this mountain, these six tribes go up on this hill, on this mountain, and in the valley in between will be the Ark of the Covenant, will be the Levites, and, and Joshua's in control at this point. He's, I mean, he's in leader, he's the leader but he's with his tribe of the Levites, I believe. He's, he's up there, and, and all these curses and blessings are being spoken, and the people are saying amen. So God says, listen, separate me, these people, all them go, all these six tribes go up here. They're going to speak blessings and you're going to say amen. All these people go up and as the curses are read, you will say amen. Showing their identity and their, their agreement with the covenant. They're in covenant with God. It's the old covenant. We're in the new covenant. But what, what, notice what Paul is doing here. He's saying, "Listen, these people were identifying themselves with God, and he says, "Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words, the ones that do not obey all the words." Uh, as we go back to the text in Galatians, it, it's saying Paul is saying, Curses everyone who does not continue in all the things, who does not." continuously practice all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. So, so we, we understand this, that, the justi- that those trusting in the works to be justified are under the curse. So as these curses were being read in that s- scenario, the people were saying, I agree, amen, it's true. Curse is the person who, who does X, Y, or Z. And it's, it, there's, a, there's a, 10 of them. It's not, the, it's not the same as the Ten Commandments, but it's a, a very graphic. And, and I'm not going to go into that text right now. But all those people were standing, and they were engaged in responding to the command and the curse of God. Anyone who wants to follow the, the, the Jewish law has to receive the reality of the curse if you break that law. And that's what Paul is pointing out. So the justified are called to live by faith, not by works. What you'll notice is verse eleven is sandwiched between verses ten and twelve. Ten and twelve, bad news. Eleven, very good news. The justified, those who have been declared righteous, are called to live by faith, not by works. Paul's already said this, but he actually goes to the text of scripture and uh, uh, well, first of all, the Galatian text. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. It's obvious. It's understood. For the just shall live by faith. We are, we are the justified ones. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have been justified by, through your faith in, in Jesus Christ, right? God has justified you. But it's saying the just shall live by faith. It goes back to Habakkuk 2.4. four. Paul's quoting all aspects of, of God's word. He says, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Paul is just saying, listen, this is Old Testament practice. Now, granted, they didn't have New Testament scriptures at this point, but Paul is saying, I'm going back to the Old Testament. I'm telling you, stop letting these people deceive you. Understand your faith. Your faith is in Jesus. And and, and it says here that the just, the justified ones are called to live out in their faith. And that's all he's trying to establish, that this, is, this has been the practice and the teaching From way back, Galatians. Thirdly, he says, those trusting in works cannot have saving faith. It's impossible. Notice 10 and 12, right? Trusting in works to be justified or under a curse, those trusting in that. And those trusting in works, they can't have saving faith. It's at complete odds. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot be trusting in your works and be called one who's living by, who's trusting in faith. It's one or the other, folks. And this is where, in our day and age, we, we have Christians struggling with this. We have unbelievers that don't even know this is true. They need to hear the words that they can be justified because of faith in who Jesus is and what He's done. We are called to evangelize. We're called to witness. We're called to tell others. Paul is in the process of... of uh, encouraging the Galatians who were genuine believers in their faith because of the confusion. But think about all those who don't know. And the beauty of like I said, the the greatest news ever is to know that you can be justified in God's eyes through faith. Those trusting in works can't have saving faith. I added the word saving there. He says, yet the law is not of faith. You don't have, the law is, but the man who does them shall live by them. So if we're going to talk law, you got to live by the law. If you're going to find your justification there, you got to live by it. Because it's not a faith. It's law. you got to do stuff. And so he says, and this is drawing a quoting out of Leviticus 18.5, "...and you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. Uh, I am the Lord." Uh, the law is not evil. The law is good. It says, "...you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments." They were supposed to keep, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I think it's the idea of, of if someone was, in, in one sense, it's the idea of if someone could live and obey all of them, yeah, life, life you know, theoretically could be lived, right, because you've obeyed the law. The bad news is, Paul tells us else, elsewhere, none have None are righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is an impossible task. But he says, listen, keep my statutes, keep my judgments. For if a man does, he shall live by them. There's two aspects of this. One, Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. And obviously, he not only uh, has life, he gives life. And so this could point to that. But it's also talking about the, uh, the idea, if you're going to say you're under the law, you've got to live under the law. You cannot live under faith. You cannot live as a New Testament believer. You can't do this. So those trusting in works cannot have saving faith because they're trusting in their works, not faith in Christ. Verse 13 is the, is the best news, right? Christ redeems people of faith by becoming a curse for them. So that goes right up to the first one. Those trusting in works to be justified are cursed. But, a, but Christ redeems those who are cursed when they come to faith. He says in verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's really, really good news. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, that, that we, we're heading into the Lord's Supper here in just a, just a couple minutes. And uh, as we do this, I want to encourage you to understand the gruesomeness of this, of this scene. Right? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. To be redeemed is the idea of purchased at a cost, right? And so Christ has redeemed us. This is talking about Christians, talking about believers. And he's saying that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. There were two aspects, two people that were cursed by the law the Jews who knew it and never, and, and failed to keep all of it. And the Gentiles, who didn't have the, 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 the Jewish law, but they were a law unto themselves because it was written on their hearts, they are both condemned because they both failed to live up to the law. It's God's law. Christ, and, and the beauty of it, whether it's Jew or Gentile, and we'll get into this more next week, by coming to faith in Him, He's redeemed us. He's purchased us. How many songs do we sing that talk about being redeemed? Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the, son, by the blood of the Lamb, Right. These great hymns. I have have a Redeemer, right? We, We have all these songs. It's talking about Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were destined for hell, and Jesus Christ came on the cross, and He redeemed us. Because why? Having become a curse for us. Jesus became the curse. What curse? For it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was hung on a tree of sorts. We'll talk about that in a second. It's a quotation taken out of Deuteronomy 21-23. Paul, looking for answers to to give the Galatians, he says, in this context, it's the giving of the law. And there's this aspect where if any criminal is actually hung on a tree, whether that be actually crucified in in Jesus' day or maybe impaled, uh, maybe they cut down a tree and use the, the tree as, or maybe they leave the tree in the ground and they sharpen, they cut it off and sharpen to a point. But they impaled people as punishment. They killed people for whatever reasons, that they, uh, whatever crime they were guilty of in, in, that, in that society. But he says, listen, if that takes place uh, uh, in this text, as you go into the promised land, these are the things you've got to obey. If someone has been killed, by impalement or crucifixion, whatever you might call it, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree. Why? But you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And so this, that's the context of the Deuteronomy passage. Don't defile what God has given you. I've given you this land. I'm going to uh, remove the Gentiles from you, the Canaanites from you. And, uh, and you're going to be established. But what did they do? They sinned in many ways, and they did not uh, experience the fullness of what God had uh, hoped for them, right? So we, we see here that you shall surely bury him so that you do not defile the land. Well, Gentiles, are the, excuse me, the Galatians, were not worried about defiling the land, and even we, we are not concerned about that either. But notice this. The, the Lord is giving you as an inheritance. But here's the truth of Paul's honing in on. For he who is hanged, is a of God. He's accursed. He's eternally. It's, it's the idea that the, the, the wrath of God is falling upon that person. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the, the great transaction that takes place, and, and this as we go into the Lord's Supper. Is this true of you? Have you come to faith in what Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you, for your sin? I can't tell you how many people i talked about that will acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Son of God. They will acknowledge the fact that he died for the sins of the world. But they struggle with this idea of, of confessing their own sin and applying his saving sacrifice to their personal sin. There's a huge obstacle in their life. Why? Because they think they're that wicked of a sinner. They think that somehow they are the one that have fallen through the cracks. Folks, listen. If you're here this morning and you are struggling to know this one who was who made sin to be sin for you, Jesus Christ became sin. He took the curse of sin upon himself so that you could experience his righteousness. You. For all your sins. You don't have to sit there and put yourself down. You are a sinner. And you're in need of salvation. And God has provided a means of salvation. And that's what we celebrate at the Lord's Supper. What God has done on our behalf. That you might become the righteousness of God. Declared righteous. Justified. That's the topic that Paul is trying to nail home. So if we read this as a logical argument, if trusting in works to be justified, those are cursed, and if the justified are called to live by faith, and if those trusting in works cannot have saving faith, it's not possible, and if Christ redeems people of faith by becoming a curse for them, and all of that is true, then what? Then all those who were cursed by the law and now have faith in Jesus Christ, are once again blessed. They're justified, just like Abraham, and receive the promise of the Spirit. That's what he says in this final final verse, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul is smack dab in the middle of of discussion of of the Spirit. We are saved by the Spirit. We're matured by the Spirit. The one who gives the Spirit uh, gave him through the response of people through faith alone, no works. Abraham is is the example that we can all look to. And he says this blessing of Abraham will come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise, which will be a focus of next week. But here are the two conclusions. I'm not going to read them again. It's verse nine to verse fourteen. I, you've already seen them. I just put them on. As Paul's developing his argument, it's a two-part argument, but it's saying the same thing. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone. And I, probably, I forgot one of the alones there. But I will. I will tell you that you're not alone if you're in Christ. All those who have come to faith have received the Spirit. All those who are in need of maturing are going to be matured by the Spirit. And we will all experience this beautiful promise of the Spirit being justified like Abraham. So I don't know what questions you might have today as we walk through this uh, portion of Scripture uh, with him. But I, I, I say we have to ask ourselves, is your faith in Jesus Christ? It's hard to be a a preacher up here week after week after week and ask such a basic question. But do you know, week after week after week, there are people who do not know how to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes I feel like I fail in the simplicity of the gospel. But you can come to faith in Jesus Christ just by admitting your sin to a holy judge. And then... When you come to faith in Jesus, He forgives you of your sins. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God is a forgiving God, and so I encourage you. If you ask, answer this question in the negative, if your faith in Jesus Christ, the answer is no. I ask you, please come to faith in what Jesus, who Jesus is, and what He's done for you. And if you have more questions on how to apply that to your life, then we need to talk about your particulars. And I'm going to point you to Scripture. The person you talk to will point you to Scripture. Maybe an Old Testament passage, maybe a New Testament passage. But scripture, scripture is reliable. We can go to it for help. If you answer yes, then you are justified in God's eyes. And as I said earlier, that's the best news you could ever hear. And if your answer is yes, then you have reason to celebrate. If you are justified here this morning, we, we talk, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we can celebrate this we can celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, as, uh, as a testimony for what God has done. It's a visual aid that God has given us to make what we've just learned concrete in our minds and in our eyes. So if you don't have uh, yours, uh, please go, get one. But if, uh, if you do have it, uh, place it in your hand. We're gonna, I don't have the scripture for you on the screen, but in 1 Corinthians 11, let me just read to you uh, what Paul says. He was talking to the galatians church to galatians, uh, excuse me to the Corinthian Church, and he was saying, "Listen, the way you 've been practicing the lord 's Supper is not glorifying me you 're being selfish, some of you are are, are getting drunk while others uh, are and engorging and yourself while others are going hungry He says it not, ought not to be so so you ought to um, recognize the body of Christ you should." You should recognize the people around you and engage in this in a community fashion and look out for one another. He says, the way you're doing it is not right. He says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So Paul was in need of knowing how this was supposed to get done. And he's sharing what he learned from from God directly to to, uh, the people in Corinth because they were doing it wrong. And he says, listen, I need to let you know, Corinthians, that you are justified. You are delivered. You are rescued. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the night Jesus, on the the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, this bread that we have here. You can go ahead and pull that out. That bread represents the body of Christ. And it was broken. There was no bones broken, but there was thorns placed in his head. There was a spear thrust in his side. Uh, There was a grueling walk with carrying a cross. What Jesus Christ went through up to the point of the cross was gruesome and ugly, and it was all real. And he did that not because of his own sin, but because of the sins of you and of me. My sins hung him on the cross. And and Paul calls us to remembrance, calls the Corinthians to remembrance. And he says, listen, uh, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was uh, betrayed, he took this bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So before you eat it, or you can eat it if you, you, I'm just saying, we are called to remembrance for what Jesus Christ did. And so as we talk about Jesus becoming a curse for us, let's understand that's not a small matter. He was brutalized and he, the, hung on that cross, and God placed all the sins of all time, of all people, on him. And there was this mysterious separation of, of God the Father, God the Son, in some capacity of Jesus Christ and his Father, because he, he called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's some deep theology right there. I'm not engaged in to explain it, but I'll say this. That's what we're remembering when we eat this little piece of bread Jesus Christ became our curse. But because we have faith in Him, we can remember it for our joy and for His glory. As we consider the the remainder of the the Last Supper and and what Paul is describing here, it said that when He had given uh, um, in the same manner, verse 25, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Our faith is in a risen Savior, one who died. And I'm telling you, our gospel, there's no other gospel that is so detailed in its presentation of how we can know that we are right in God's eyes. So let's celebrate in our own hearts and minds. I'm going to ask musicians to come. We're going to sing the old rugged cross. I believe that's the one we're singing. And um, and as you sing, uh, consider the truths that we've studied today. And if they're true of you, then rejoice. If you need Christ, we pray that you come to faith even now uh, as you pray silent to the Lord.